Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, good to see you, sir. Good to be seen. Good to be seen. It is time for a Miami version of Front Row Knowles. I'm not sure what that means, Keith, other than that we're going to have Joe Zagacki join us next segment. Well, uh, it'll be new for Coach Norvell. I had forgotten until I started processing that he actually missed the Miami game last year. He was quarantining because of COVID-19. Obviously, that's a, that's a significant thing. And uh, his comments earlier in the week about the uh, FSU-Miami rivalry uh, tend to um, – make me believe he gets it. He understands it. Uh, Coach Bowden said when he got here, there's two things you got to do. You, if you want to be a successful, you got to win the state championship, which at that time meant Miami and Florida. And uh, number two, you got to win those consistently to make the fan base happy. No question. The importance of the game has not diminished among either fan base. But when you point back and think about what this rivalry was in the 80s and the 90s, Keith, there's really been a lot of stinkers in this series since then. I mean, nationally, there has not – I'm just being candid. There hasn't been a reason for the nation to be interested in this series of late. I mean, this rivalry was so important and so significant nationally that the entire college football television landscape changed when they introduced that Monday night game on Labor Day. I mean, that's how significant this rivalry was. That game was designed for this – rivalry and those are the stinkers i'm referring to they moved it to monday night and we had those 10 <laughs> seven and miami loses because they can't get a snap down i mean those were some awful dreadful games that said i do feel like certainly not nationally for obvious reasons and it, it's not that the sky is falling if you don't win but i do really feel like there's a a pretty good opportunity for florida state this week because florida is struggling so bad and because Miami was struggling and then found some footing, if you somehow get the win, you could argue that FSU's got the upper hand going into the recruiting cycle over both Miami and Florida. And given what FSU has committed right now, that would be huge. And the other thing about it is coaching changes. We've already seen two assistants uh, from uh, Florida. And, you know, should uh, Coach Diaz make any changes down there on his end? Um, you know, you lose the continuity of those recruiting folk and Florida State's maintain that continuity and, and that'll go a long way towards it as well. You're exactly right. I still remember, I've shared this before, I'm sure, but sometime in the mid to late nineties, I don't remember the time frame. sitting next to Manny Diaz when he was the sports editor for the FS view. And we were in the press box at Dickhauser stadium, probably watching NCAA regionals or something like that. And there he is. And and now here he is on the sideline again. He's, his, his career certainly uh, took a different turn than mine has since he went from broadcasting to the sideline. But I, I do think, and we'll 
Joe Zagaki, I mentioned his name before. If folks don't know, he's the longtime voice of the Canes. He'll join us and we'll get the Miami perspective. I have to feel like their perspective right now, they're feeling pretty good. They're only three or four games into this new quarterback's tenure. And I'm curious if they're already thinking they found a Testaverde or a Kozar or a Steve Walsh or a Craig Erickson or somebody that could be their future for a couple of years. Think about this, Tommy. Just two weeks ago, they played three games. But if you count them up, that's, you know, 20 days or however that mathematical works out. So two or three weeks ago. They're sitting there with no quarterback, at least no known quarterback, on a losing streak, and they're talking about firing the entire staff. Wow, what a change over the last two or three ballgames. And the quarterback, Van Dyke, he made comments leading up to the NC State game in the middle of the week that were braggadocious, cocky, sort of what you picture of Miami being in the 80s and 90s. They haven't been that in the early 2000s. Since then, You've heard those things, but they haven't backed them up. Well, he mouthed off more or less about how they're better than NC State, and then they backed it up, and so the swagger might be back. Now, I'm not going to say the U is. I'm not going to say the U is back. We've had a lot of false alarms over the last two decades about that. But what you're telling me is that uh, TVD, as they call him down there, their new quarterback, he fits in. That's what you're telling. That is what I'm saying. Also, and we can bring this back to Florida State. If you have a quarterback in college football, everything else is a lot easier. And that's no not an indictment question. on Jordan Travis, but it is to say if you upgraded just one position at FSU and you got a star there, that's the position you'd choose because it can make the rest of the parks look that much better. Welcome to today's college football game. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, it was a running back. Can you say Herschel? Can you say Bo? That's not the case these days. As we speak, we don't know if Jordan Travis is going to be available this weekend. I, I tend to think he is. I don't see how Florida State wins if he's not. I do think it's a winnable game if he is out there. I as well. Uh, and I, I hope he uh, gets some uh, – I forget what year it is. You're better at the years. But I hope he gets some Christian Ponder-likeness in him uh, in terms of running and throwing the football. Remember what uh, CP7 did down there one time. That was the 2008 game. And it was one of the rare FSU-Miami games I've missed in person over the last 30 years or so because that was the week my daughter was born. So I watched that on TV, which I've not done a lot for FSU-Miami, although I did last year as well because we didn't travel due to COVID, which goes back to your point about this being Mike Norvell's first go-round close up with Miami since he didn't travel last year for the game either. Wow. There's a lot of stuff going on, is there not? There is. There is. All right. We'll we'll get the Miami perspective on how things are going right now. Certainly better in Coral Gables than they were a month ago. The voice of the Canes, Joe Zagaki, joins us coming up. Stay with us as we are just getting cranked up here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, I always enjoy this conversation. We catch up a couple times a year. We see each other in person at a basketball or football game, but uh, we've made this kind of an annual ritual during FSU-Miami Week to welcome the voice of the Canes to, to Front Row Knowles, Joe Zagaki, the longtime voice of the Canes. How are you, Joe? I'm doing okay, Tom. KJ, how are you guys? We're doing well. It's Miami Week. <laughs> We won't we won't share with the listeners, Joe, that it it we basically looked like we were three hundred years ago trying to speak through two cups and one line to get this connection to work, but we're we're, yeah. we're all good at well, this point. 
<laughs> you're, you're talking to Mr. Technology here. Um, I failed technology many times over, and I proved it again today. <laughs> it's all good. So let me ask you this, Joe. I feel like within the last month, and I don't know if it was if it's the cumulative effect of the way Miami has played the last few weeks or if there was one, man, this kid's got it moment. But it feels like Miami fortune, Miami's fortunes have turned around uh, by finding a quarterback here over the last month of the season. You know, quarterback makes life a whole lot easier when you have a good quarterback that can push the ball down the field. And Van Dyke has been really good, uh, really since he entered the fray. But the last three weeks in particular, he's been really sharp. And I, I have to say that I watched him last year in practice. I watched him this uh, spring and summer in practice. And I thought, man, this guy's got a big arm. Uh, maybe we got something here. However, it, and it was a small sample size. It was last year against North Carolina. It's a mop-up duty this year against Alabama. When he went into the game, he had stage fright. He looked like a, an almond stuck in a chocolate bar. But then maybe the second half against Virginia, it started to pick up. And, and really since the second half of North Carolina, he, he looked like he's belonged. He's so tall in the pocket. He's hitting his receivers. And he has been able to breathe life into this program and has given Miami a fighting chance. Joe, we talk all the time with athletes about the light coming on. It appeared to me what little bit sample size I've watched that the light has definitely come on and is shining brightly. Uh, no question about it, KJ. He's finding his receivers. Um, he's done a good job in the pocket. I didn't think he could run, but he's been able to run for some key first downs in the last three weeks. Ran for a big first down against Georgia Tech. He's been throwing some passes that have just been a thing of beauty, giving his wide receivers an opportunity to make plays. And guys like Rambo and Harley are taking advantage of that. They've opened up the offense, and he can push the ball down the field. He can throw the ball now. He's a guy that can get it 60 yards down the field and, uh, and hit the target. So uh, the entire field has been weaponized with him at quarterback. And this game, this game however – will be a challenge for Miami in that I think this is the game where the pass protection will be challenged the most for Miami, probably since Michigan State or Alabama. Those were the two best pass rush teams that Miami has faced, and Florida State, I think, will give Miami uh, all they can handle in terms of their pass protection. Let's come back to that, Joe. I just want to finish up on uh... – on TVD here. I mean, you, you mentioned that once he got past the stage Friday, he looked great. Has he surprised the coaches? Did, did they think when they signed him that, Hey, we've got somebody cause I'm looking at it now and I, and I have not watched all of your games, Joe, but I see the highlights and I see his stat line. And I, what, what year is he in school? First of all, he, he is uh let's see, we got COVID. He would be a, he is a true, he's a sophomore by academic standards. So he's a freshman, redshirt freshman. He's a sophomore. And, um, you know, he, he was recruited by Mark Rick. Miami lost at the uh, uh, bowl game in Yankee Stadium. He said after that, you know, I don't think it's I don't think Miami's for me. Dan Enos went back up there, re-recruited him. Uh, he did commit to Miami. Uh, and then when De'Ara King was hurt, we've been trying to tell the fan base the whole time, listen, we don't know if this is quarterback number two or quarterback number three because he was supposed to battle it out with Garcia, with Jake Garcia, who is a really nice-looking young quarterback. 
but Garcia got hurt in the Central Connecticut State game. Therefore, Miami's had only one other option. This is it, Van Dyke. Behind him is, is a walk-on, and that's why Georgia Tech tried to knock him out of the game. That's why Pittsburgh tried to knock him out of the game. I suspect Florida State will try to knock him out of the game. But we weren't sure if he was number two or number three, and right now he, he might be one of the best in the ACC. And really the credit goes to him. The coaching staff has more confidence in him now because of his ball placement, because of his toughness. And I think here's what you really needed, needed to know about uh, Van Dyke. Uh, all, of Miami, all of Miami's captains were basically injured. They had to re-vote for captain going into the North Carolina game, and they voted Van Dyke as the captain. So I think he has won the team over. He's won the coaching staff over, and he's going he's gonna to try to win America over on Saturday. Joe, what has his growth meant to the running game? What, what does Florida State have to be cautious of when it comes to being on the ground against the Hurricanes? Well, you know, this, this uh, it's funny. We all know that, that this rivalry, we've got that number out there, the team that runs for the most yards usually wins. It certainly has helped Miami's run game because uh, now you've got to back people out of the box. You've got to worry about the outside aces of Rambo and Keyshawn Smith, and then now the tight end, Will Mowry, has become a factor. And <laughs> Miami's down to one running back, by the way, in, in Jalen Knighton. Behind him are, are two, true fresh, two true freshmen, but Knighton carried the ball 30 times, 32 times, for 164 yards last week. He probably was, coming into the season, Miami's best running back in terms of uh, being the most explosive running back both handling the ball in the run game and in the pass game. But Knighton was suspended for the first four games. So we didn't see Jalen Knighton. Well, the last four games, he's been tremendous, averaging about 150 to 160 all-purpose yards. If he finds a sliver of room, gets by the front four, gets into that second level, he's probably going to go all the way. He's been really good. A lot of that has been Knighton showing toughness. He's not the biggest back. But I have, I have to believe that because Miami's been able to push the ball down the field with their pass game, they've got to be backing people off because if you don't, they're going to run by you. If you're going to sit on everything in front of you, they're going to run by you uh, in the pass game. So that certainly has helped Knighton in the run game. Joe, what about Miami defensively? Uh, that, that's Manny's background. I, I know you've got good parts and, and, and good pieces there. I don't know if they've, they've played as well as maybe what you expected. Kind of give us a thumbnail on what you have defensively. Well, Tom, you probably hit. They've got good pieces. Uh, they had uh, started the season with, with, with some veteran guys. Now they're, they're, they're playing primarily with freshmen in the secondary, four freshmen, Cam Kitchens, James Williams, Avante Williams, and uh, Marcus Clark, playing with four freshmen in the secondary. Sometimes they're really good. Sometimes it shows up on the scoreboard when they make a mistake. I suspect that's the way it's going to go on Saturday. Uh, they've got to be able to, to corral the Florida State run game and then uh, do a really good job of not allowing Florida State to run by them. The Miami defense, you look at their numbers, probably not great uh, in any category. However, in the last four games, they're giving up five points a game in the fourth quarter. So when they need it the most, when the money's been on the table at the moment of truth, the last three or four games, they've done enough defensively to win. And I think in college football today, the best thing you can expect out of your defense, if you don't have one of those dominating defenses like an Alabama or a Georgia, you got to get multiple stops 
when in the game can you get multiple stops? And Miami's got to find a way against Florida State, I would think, to stop the running quarterback. Uh, 50% of Florida State's plays in the pass game are behind the line of scrimmage. Maybe they'll try to bamboozle Miami with something, you know, uh, hoodwink them with a fake here and a fake there and get, get behind uh, the defense. But James Williams and Avante Williams have to be good in the back end. And then their front seven is going to have to make enough plays to put Florida State behind the eight ball. And, you know, forcing a turnover here or there would be a, would, would be a big key as well. You know, Florida State struggled in the return game. We won't talk about the kicking game. We'll leave that for another time. But uh, how's Miami in the return game? They're notoriously uh, talented in that aspect of the of the ball club. Yeah, uh, KJ, another area where they've got a freshman, Jacoby George, and he's pretty good in terms of returning punts, although against North Carolina State, he didn't fumble it once. He fumbled it twice on the same play at the five-yard line, which is never a good thing. Fortunately, the guy that recovered it for North Carolina State uh, wasn't wearing his helmet, so Miami dodged the bullet. But George can be an explosive player. Uh, Brashard Smith returns the kickoffs. He's another freshman. He, too, can be explosive, be an explosive player. But both of them been hit or miss. They both have made some plays. They both have uh, made some bad decisions. Field goal kicking-wise, Borregalis has been good. But I don't know that I've ever seen this. He's hit the upright twice. He's hit the left upright twice. He's missed a couple of kicks. Two of his three misses have been off the left upright. And neither time did the field goal guys smile on Miami. They just smirked at Miami, and the ball ricocheted away. Lou Headley, the punter, he's about fourth in the ACC. He can change the field position. He's been good this year. He was better last year. We're talking with Joe Zagaki, the voice of the Canes. We've got about two minutes to go here, Joe. Uh, this, this may, if you want to sidestep this question, I get it, given your role. But, but is Manny safe at this point, given the, the resurgence, here, resurgence over the last month? You know, I don't know, Tom. I have no idea what, what, which way the wind is blowing. Uh, the heat's probably not on as much. I think what is unfortunate, uh, it's probably not only here, but I think it's become a kind of an epidemic in college football that fans go, oh, we need the next. Uh, we need to move on. We need to find the high-profile guy, and they start rooting against their team. I don't. I've never understood that. How anybody would ever root against your team uh, to think that you're going to find a high-profile coach or somebody better? I know this. He is fighting his his backside off. His players are fighting for him, and sometimes you're you know as good as your recruits. Miami has got some young guys that are playing well, and I've always said, let's have some continuity in the program pick somebody stand behind them and let's see what happens i hope they stand behind manny diaz i'd like to see what happens uh but i i don't know i do know this if you look in this league the most high profile coaches that have been hired in the last i don't know five to eight years i would make an argument where mark rick and and mac brown this is not a league that hire hires the most high profile guy Miami has a Miami guy. He understands Miami. And I say, let's roll with it. But I don't get a vote. Understand. Uh, Joe, in the final few seconds, uh, where, what do you see this game score-wise? I mean, for, in my mind, for FSU to win, it's, it's a 38-35 type game. But, but what do you see from your point of view? Well, FSU hasn't scored more than 10 on Miami in the last two games. But Miami's defense is allowing 30 points a game. So... Uh, I would see if Miami's going to win this game, 
somewhere around 34, 26, 34, 28, because Miami's been averaging over 30 points a game with Van Dyke as quarterback. They've been giving up 30 points a game no matter what. So I think Florida State's going to score. It would behoove Miami, in my opinion, not to go into the fourth quarter with a, with a war chant raining down on them and the game hanging in the balance. Makes sense. Joe Zagacki, the voice of the Canes. Thanks for joining us. More Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Pleased to be joined by the CEO and president of Seminole Boosters, Michael Alford. We gave Keith this segment off because Michael and I are catching up in uh, in full transparency at the uh, at the Tucker Center around Florida State's uh, Tuesday night women's basketball game. Michael, it's good to see you. How are you? Oh, it's great seeing you. Always great to be here. And looking real excited to opening tip of this year's women's season. And it's great to have Sue back. And just the energy, she's reestablished herself on campus. And I talk to her about once a week, and she gives me energy every time I talk to her. So it's great to be here excited about tonight's opening game. She's a fan favorite, no question. I I hate to mention this. I looked at it. It's her 24th season, which means we're talking a quarter century. And I was here before that, so we'll just we'll leave it at that. But it's it's been a while since Keith and I had you on the show, and I know it's an important time. It's always an important time. You've been out on the road. I've seen you on several of the football trips. It it never stops. But right now, we're already focused on 2022 and the season ticket renewal uh, period is already underway well yeah we kicked off our annual fund just the other day and for 2022 and we had such great success last year you know we have a great core group of donors here that really support us and when i first got here i know last year's message was to get our numbers up and we got up to 12,000 donors and 2,000 over 2,000 new members and what really impressed me was 900 people stepped up uh, to higher giving levels and really the message of going out and how that supports our student athletes. You know, we contribute 16, I'm sorry, 15 million a year in scholarships to student athletes across campus. And we can't provide that assistance to our student athletes and provide them those educational opportunities without the annual fund. And we really need to grow our annual fund. And that's the message that we're going out with this year is to thank everyone for the loyal support. Thank you for the new donors who stepped up. also want to say 40% of our donors, all-time high, are non-season ticket holders. So people are hearing our message, and it's relating to them that the annual fund goes to support what we need to get accomplished. We're able to build a new weight room for all student-athletes last year because of the increase in the annual fund, and we're able to provide more educational opportunities because of the annual fund. And every time, if you're a member of Booster, Every time you see a student-athlete graduate and walk across that stage, that should give you some pride because we're a self-sustaining athletic department, and it couldn't be possible, those resources, without people contributing to the boosters. Where have you set the goal for this coming year? Oh, it's up there. Uh, I lean on Daryl and our staff. We've set it for 13-5, and uh, that's just an increase that we think is obtainable. Um, when you look across our conference, we lead the conference in number of alumni. 
That is shocking to a lot, a lot of people. We have 380,000 alumni. The next closest is about 50,000 shy of that's North Carolina. So, but then you look at our numbers of contributors to the annual fund, and we are ranked sixth in our conference. Uh, that's with the increase last year. So less than 2% of our alumni give back to athletics across the annual fund at any level. So that's something that we're looking to reach out and really get our message out of supporting the educational opportunities we provide these young men and women and help us make a difference in, in their experience here at Florida State. I'll ask this question, and you know full well that my day job is related to fundraising at the FSU Foundation, uh, and my my side hustle, so to speak, is being involved with the football program. But when you're in times like these, when the success is not where you want to see it, it can be a tougher sell. So what would be your message to folks right now? I mean, we're in the middle of FSU Miami week. Uh, you know, we get the win on Saturday. Maybe that's a great time for a lot of people to renew. But if it doesn't go that way, you still need people to renew. Oh, it, it's and we got a, we've set a goal of a thousand new season ticket holders. And it's really believing in the, the vision that we have you know we're playing with a very young roster the youngest in division one uh football again of, of as far as power fives again this year and we're playing with something like 65 freshmen on our roster either freshman or red shirt but you look at the stability that coach norvell's bringing the program and i'm a firm believer and i know you and i've talked about it tom is, is the core values we see it been around the team we're fortunate enough to see the response the look in the eye of the young men that respond to when he talks to them and you see him doing it in the classroom as well we've had three straight semesters of the highest gpa uh, amongst football and so they're doing it off the field they're going to have success on the field because core values went out at the end like any program he's bringing stability and then he's start, starting to stack depth. If, we, if we're able to get the recruiting class that looks like we're going to have, like any great organization, stability and depth really brings success to all of our programs. And that's no different than what we're doing at the Boosters. We're bringing stability to, to our organization as far as the annual fund. And then we're going out and fundraising as far as the depth and looking at the football-only facility. We were just able to have a capital campaign for a softball and video scoreboards. Those two programs deserve it uh, because of their success. All programs deserve to have the very best. But it really going to change the fan experience and uh, student-athlete experience of those two uh, venues in the future. And that's something we're really excited that should be completed in August of 22, and they will be installed and be able to change those programs. So it's about just bringing stability across our entire department, across our entire organization, and then bringing in the depth and the resources to fund it. Let's talk a little bit more on that transition or segue from the annual fund to more of the major gift fundraising related to the two components with football, but the football-only facility that's been talked about for a while, and then also your vision for what the stadium can look like. And I know you've got a whole, I don't even know what it's called, but you've got a whole center above Madison Social that people can go check out kind of what the future of Doe Campbell looks like, and I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, it's really exciting. We'll touch base first on the football facility. You know, some some interesting stats only two ACC institutions do not have a football-only facility, us and the University of Miami. 58 of the 65 Power Fives have a football-only facility. We're one of the few that do not. Uh, fundraising is going very well. People are listening to our message, partnering with us, and when we do something, we want to be ahead of our times. You and I were just in South Carolina for that other school that resides there in our conference. And I was, I happened to be good friends with their athletic director and he and I were standing in the end zone pregame catching up and talking. And he asked me if my ears were burning 
Friday night. He goes, Michael, I hate to tell you, but I had a fundraiser last night. I talked about you. I showed pictures of the facility and the stadium that you're going to do. And I told him I needed another 10 to 20 million to stay ahead of you. And so they, people are taking notice what, what is coming. And we want to build the very best and build something that Florida State deserves, which is the very best football facility uh, in the country. But that's not only going to help our football facility, it's going to, our football team, it's going to help also all of our student athletes because it opens up more. It allows the training room and the weight room to have more hours and better hours. Or they, or some of our other sports can schedule better class times uh, for that for that chemistry class or that lab that they don't have to squeeze it in because now the uh, facilities have more expanded hours with football having their own facility that it allows all of our student athletes to to improve on what they're able to do for their sport. So it's really going to affect our entire athletic department. And we've raised about $54 million for that facility. We started a construction design phase, so we're going through that right now. And that's about a 10-month process. And then when that's completed, we'll be able to go out to bids for construction companies to come in and put a shovel in the ground as we continuously fundraise to fund this facility. So it's something we're really proud about. And then we have the preview center uh, that's located over in College Town. And that's we've taken 15 people through it uh, so far. And that that is it because we're doing it the right way. We're going at donor rank and sitting down with each person according to their rank in our organization and rewarding those who have been with us and supplied the resources for our student-athletes. And we've raised already $20 million in commitments towards that football, towards Doe Campbell renovation. And that's something we're really proud of, too. And I've sent a letter, and there's another one about to go out, some more communication. But we are dedicated over the next few years to sit down face-to-face with everyone so that we can discuss with them their experience. So everyone will get a, a time uh, to come through through that facility and sit down with us and really learn and be educated on, one, where their money's going, uh, how we're going to be great stewards of that resource, but also how it impacts the student-athletes and, and their fan experience when they come to Doak. We're talking with Michael Alford, the president and CEO of Seminole Boosters. Just about two minutes left. Uh, Let's go off topic a little bit. It's, it's related, certainly, but you, but you've been here for a little while now. What has surprised you, impressed you? And I'm thinking more coaches, student athletes, something you didn't know. I, in my head, I started to say maybe he didn't know beach volleyball was pretty good here, but you've got volleyball in the family, so you probably knew that one. But 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 what what res- has resonated? Uh, you know that you maybe you didn't expect that that you've grown to know. There's a couple of things, and one I'm going to talk, and, and this is going to sound cliche-ish, but I've had so many friends that either played here and, of course, being in this industry, I've had coaches that have coached here at one time, and and uh, they always talk about how great the people of Tallahassee and Florida State were. And you, and you say, okay, 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 that's every place. But then you get here, and you, you find out how real that is and, and just how welcoming people. And I go back to Coach Bowden. I was telling a reporter, Dennis Stops, the other day I was on the phone with him. And I said, Dennis, you don't understand the impact that Coach Bowden had. You think you know. Um, you think you know about the core values, but you don't realize the impact he had on this university and he had on this community and how it shaped the core values of this community and the people. And I always lean back on that, on how special of a place it is. And then you talk to the student athletes. I got a letter, uh, a thank you note from Amari Gaynor the other day. 
And, you know, you, you talk to these student athletes and they respond. Cam McDonald comes by my office and we talk books and he wants to know what I'm reading. And I ask him what he's reading. And, and you just sit down with these student athletes uh, every time and just to hear their stories and how impressive they are. You want to help them. You want to provide winning edge resources and, and the best experience we can ever provide them. Great story. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Uh, thank you all, and go Nels. Michael Alford from Seminole Boosters will step aside. We'll let Keith back on the program. Uh, he is half the show, after all, when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knoll, still uh, several minutes to go as we finish things up. Count closer to a 3.30 kick against Miami this week, and always good to catch up with Joe Zagacki. And then Michael Alford, the CEO of Seminole Boosters. It's an important time for, for Florida State, Keith. That, that goes without saying. I know everybody, and this is kind of where the narrative is gone, maybe not for all Florida State fans, certainly not for all of them. But in, in light of last week, some people aren't happy. And everybody wants quick results. But the reality is, and we've been talking about, it, I think everybody in the media has, for the most part, there is not an easy button on this. You have to turn over the roster. It's going to take some time. And that's just where we are right now. And it permeates every other thing, as, as we all know, uh, whether it's uh, fundraising at the foundation level, which you're involved in, whether it's a uh, number of seminal boosters or the amount of money that uh, the boosters can raise. You know, one goes hand in hand with the other, and that's just the way the college football world works and college athletics in general. Uh, so, you know, the better the product on the field, the better the behind the scenes support groups are able to perform as well. So how does Florida State win this football game and get people feeling better this weekend, Keith? Find a way to run the ball. Now, we've said that for the last two games and they have failed miserably at it. But there's got to be a way to run the football. If it's that three tight end set. Uh, and just play, you know, ugly three three yards in a cloud of dust. But you've got to find a way to run the football if you have any chance against Miami because that's what will open up any of the passing games when you can try to take those shots down the field. And obviously with Jordan being back as that kind of second running back um, and, and, and the ability he has to make plays with his legs, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. The more you run him, the more chance he gets nicked up, nicked up or hurt. But you're just going to have to use him in this ball game if you have any chance. Well, obviously, assuming assuming Jordan plays, that helps the running game. Miami right. is also not Clemson or NC State. Now they have talent, but defensively they have not played up to their some of their parts, and hopefully that doesn't stay this week. So I think there's opportunities there. It's counterintuitive when you look at the last two weeks, Keith, the way Florida State solved some of the line of scrimmage issues. Against Clemson, they went five wide a lot, which you'd look at this Florida State personnel and say, why in the world would you go five wide with this group of receivers and passing game? And the answer is just to get people out of the box. And out of the box, a exactly. And then against NC State, Kenny Dillingham talked about this on Monday, that one of the biggest changes they made at halftime is they widened the splits of all the offensive linemen, which again is widening and creating a bigger box to run in. So uh, it, it's not, you know, when you, if you see five wide, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden they think that they've got the best passing game. It, it does have to do with running the football. Well, and I would also counter, although we haven't seen much of it, if they go three tight ends, that doesn't mean they're not going to throw the ball. So that's just the, when this offense is working, that's the beauty of this offense. It is very, very unpredictable. 
dare I bring this up given the history of this series, Keith, but special teams has been a topic of conversation among Florida State folks for the last couple of weeks. And if you're not familiar or if you, you are familiar, but if your memory doesn't allow you to uh, still remember, Keith, special teams has sort of factored into this series over the years historically. It's been a little significant along the way, has it not? <laughs> it's, been, it's been pretty significant. Hey, I, I'm just I'm repeating what we talked about since last year. When you're playing games and you're losing by four touchdowns, it doesn't matter if you miss a kick. This year, Florida State is in every game until the last part of the fourth quarter, more or less. I mean, they've got a chance, the final mm-hmm, seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Well, kicks matter, catching punts matter, getting past the 25 on a kick return. All those little things start to matter more when you're in these games. That, that The proverbial hidden yardage gets magnified, does it not? It does. It does. Hopefully it doesn't come down to a kick, though. I mean, I, I hope I'm not wishing this on us for this weekend by bringing it up. <laughs> Well, I, there's a part of me, though, Tommy, would say, because uh, I always fear the net, you know, the worst case scenario. But if you told me it came down to a kick and Miami was up by two and we're kicking from the 44, you know, there's a big part of me that would say I would take that because that means we either make it win by one or we miss it and lose by two. I'm always worried about the 38 to three outcomes that don't go Florida State's way. So uh, mixed, uh, mixed emotions on that. That goes to a larger point. I think at this point in the season, Keith, we know this team fights hard and maybe we're at the point where we stop worrying about them getting blown out because they haven't gotten blown out. We thought that could be the case at Clemson. We thought it could be NC state. We thought it could be Notre Dame. And the bigger point I was going to get to is going into the year, we talked a lot about how would this team respond to adversity because that was a step forward. They needed to take last year, last several years, adversity hit and they just took their ball and went home and a one touchdown on a blown coverage became five touchdowns on a busted coverage. Now, if you look back, to be fair, when adversity is hit, this team has fought back. They fought back from down 18 against Notre Dame. They were losing in the fourth quarter at Clemson. They were trailing NC State at halftime. They were getting crushed by Louisville and came back. So I do think that is a step forward that we're sort of forgetting because the end result isn't where we want it in all these games. I'm going to show my age and repeat things that I know most of our listeners have heard, but uh, the late, great Bobby Bowden, you know, his best advice he gave Dabo Sweeney was you're going to lose big and then you're going to lose close and then you want to win close and then you're all going to win big. That's just the way college football works. I do think it's fair to point out that like anything, it's not just linear though. It doesn't mean that last year was lose big this year is lose close and next year is automatically win close. I mean, there's going to be some steps forward and then some regression, but it, it certainly would be nice to get one this weekend and, and, I think if you get one this weekend, you're going to feel pretty good about the signing class, regardless of how the last two weeks play out. And I do think we should tip our cap to the fine folks in Gainesville who have managed to take the spotlight off of Tallahassee. So thank you to Dan Mullen and company for the good work they've done down there. Well, and up to three weeks ago, uh, the Hurricanes were pulling their weight in that regard as well. (laughs) You're right. You're right. Okay. Hey, a couple of other things. Women's basketball season. Uh, tipped off last night the men tip off tonight against Penn I did not get a chance to get the either exhibition game Keith but everybody I talked to has really good things to say so the competition wasn't that great or formidable but I do think there's there's some really good parts here and I'm excited for hoop season well and I'm always with coach Sue and coach Ham you know one of the things they are known for and one of the things that Florida State football is working for and in fact one of the things that soccer women's soccer is known for is the ability for those coaches to develop players. 
So you get some players with some talent and then you develop them over two or three years. That's what builds a program. And again, repeating myself, nothing bigger than what Coach uh, Kikorian's done with the women's soccer team. Speaking of which, they are the top overall seed in the NCAA tournament. They will host South Alabama at 6 p.m. this Friday. Top overall seed means this. They get four games at home before they would go to the women's soccer version of the Final Four, which is the College Cup. Let me and translate for you. This year. Top, top seed means you sleep in your own beds. <laughs> well, how about this one, though? I don't think this is appreciated enough. I don't know if the general fan base, you know, follows soccer or knows this, but FSU's won eight of the last 11 soccer tournaments and ACC soccer tournaments, champions. And this was a league, what North Carolina did, when you t- if, if you take what Alabama's done in football over the last decade, North Carolina soccer did that for two and a half decades. And now FSU has completely turned that around and they've won eight out of 11. Now, you need to win more on the national stage. Boy, it, it feeds itself. As good as Krikorian is, we want that next one, right? But, I mean, it, it, he, he's just done a tremendous job with the program. Got two national titles, was runner-up last year. Uh, so this will be an opportunity to add number three if you get all the way to the cup. Uh, and by all accounts, by all accounts, Tommy, I know you got to play the matches, but by all accounts, this might be the most talented team of all of them. So Florida State, good luck to Mark Krikorian and crew. Keith, we are out of time, but uh, we'll do this again after the Miami game this weekend and each and every Wednesday at 12 noon. Until then, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.